0: Hey, Gabe. Hey, what's up, Tim? Remember when we were surprised while watching Top Gun Maverick in the theater that it actually had a nuclear weapons plot? And I started to, you know, talk loudly in the theater that the uranium enrichment facility setup didn't make any sense. And then you said no talking in the danger zone and activated the ejector seat and I flew out the theater? Yes, I do. Sorry about that. Uh, Next time, we'll just text you during the movie. Tim, I think you're being super critical. Welcome to another episode of the Super Critical Podcast, where we delve into the fun and oftentimes nonsensical way pop culture portrays nuclear weapons. My name, Tim Westmeyer, someone who studies nuclear weapons and works on nuclear nonproliferation for a living. And I'm joined today by the only person I would ever think to have on this particular episode, Gabe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gabe, welcome to the uh, welcome to the, the podcast studio slash Zoom slash the danger zone.
1: But it, it is a danger zone because I'm I'm isolating from uh, getting over some COVID, so it is literally the <laughs> danger zone. People cannot come into my into my house, uh, or else they will be infected
0: well i will turn off my camera so i even an extra layer of protection over zoom maybe now we'll see i'll I'll roll with it today of all days i wanted to make sure that you were here on the podcast because we're talking a little aviation
1: activity here uh what are we here to talk about big day big day because we got we got tom cruise we got fast jets and we got a nuclear weapons plot in Top Gun Maverick, the sequel. How, how how long has it been since the original? What was uh, it, like, like 30? 30-something years. The last some one was out
0: years. in uh, 1986, something like that. There you go. There you go. Tom Cruise and nuclear weapon plots inserted as random MacGuffins into action movies. Can you
1: name a more iconic duo? Uh, Than uh, Goose and Maverick? Uh, <laughs> Maybe that one. <laughs> Tim and Gabe. Maybe they'll talk about Tim and Gabe uh, that way they'll yeah they'll, well, they'll have memes of us uh, playing volleyball and stuff.
0: <laughs> well, between all of the Mission Impossible movies that have nuclear weapons plots that we've covered, I think Tom Cruise has found the perfect formula for box office success. Uh, we'll sure talk about Top Gun Maverick. Um, this is we're recording this at the end of June, but the movie was released in May, so pretty not you know not that long ago. But it's still kicking butt in in the theaters. Uh, this is a film that was delayed several years because of COVID restrictions on theaters and Tom Cruise's insistence that this must be only released in the theaters. Which I'll say thank you for that because it was a good choice.
1: Yeah, very good. Very good to see it in the theaters.
0: Gabe, you know, we knew that this was a movie we weren't going to pass up. Yes. This is the uh, the movie about the skilled but brash Navy aviator uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell, uh, who went through the Top Gun school uh, back in the original movie in nineteen eighty six. Uh, saved the world from some kind of undetermined, unlabeled country fighting some migs, uh, but we, you know, everything was good. It's his thirty years later. He's still captain in the Navy, serving as a test pilot. You know, should have been promoted yeah. years ago. He said they said she should have been an admiral if he was going to be
1: here this long. Yeah, and, and like a senator or something, right?
0: Yeah, but he doesn't want to give up yeah. the open skies, right? He doesn't want a desk job. Fortunately for the podcast, he's pressed with an oddly urgent nuclear weapons plot that requires him to kick the tires and light the fires once again.
1: Classic, uh, classic movie trope, the old pro called back into action for one last mission. I've never seen that before.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure when I'm done with this podcast at some point, I'll have to do another one 30 years from now, because yeah. they will remake Doctor Strange Love, and I'll be like, okay,
1: okay, I'll come back. You're gonna be like you're gonna be like uh, doing some nuclear policy up on like a mountaintop, and it's gonna be remote, and I'm gonna have to climb up the stairs and like coax you out of retirement, and then you'll be like, "You son of a bee, I'm in. <laughs> well, predator handshake,
0: I love it. Uh, before we dive into the film here, uh, Gabe, you want to describe our day of aviation
1: uh, enjoyment on that particular day? Did a we did a whole thing because obviously this is not an event that you take lightly. So, um, as as has been mentioned before on the podcast, I'm a I'm a private pilot. And so uh, Tim Tim had a great idea that we would go up flying before seeing the movie, and we actually um, we got to fly we fly here in the Washington D.C. area got to fly right by the Naval Academy, so we got that. We did some, uh, not really aerobatics, but we did some the kind of most spicy things that I'm able, my skills allow me to do in the airplane. <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim nodded off for a while, which I took as a as a testament to his steely, his right stuff. That I, even with uh, some steep turns and steep spirals and Shondells he wasn't he wasn't flustered at all so he we knew he had the right stuff so we were ready to go see the movie uh and so we went to uh yeah went to a theater and, and got right into it um so yeah it was a fun day
0: Yeah, it was either my, you know, strong constitution or it was my uh, lack of sleep due to toddler. One of the two things. But either way, I stayed up for the whole movie uh, and I got to watch a movie directed by, you know, Joseph Kaczynski, who did another film I really like called Tron Legacy, one of the best soundtracks uh, of any film. And he also did another Tom Cruise movie called Oblivion. Uh, We'll go through the individual cast members uh, as we kind of go through the quick plot description. Well, we got some Tom Cruise, Uh, you know, that's kind of the main, the main guy from the last movie, Val Kilmer, it does have a little bit of a cameo and a, a pretty good scene, we'll talk about uh but the main other stars uh miles teller jennifer connelly and uh a john ham character who's
1: uh, uh don draper is in it
0: yeah he loves he loves playing the kind of the jerk uh, the jerk authority figure in movies, he's great at that. Uh, but as we said, this movie is doing well. Uh, 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, already made $1 billion worldwide as of late June. So it's doing okay. It doesn't need this podcast to talk about it. I haven't seen many people talking about the nuke plot online. Uh, people are talking about a few other things here and there about the movie. So let's let this be our niche of, wow, you included this in this movie. Very interesting. So let's uh, let's get into it. Two questions I have overall for this episode as we'll kind of get to the end. One, what do we think about the inclusion of this Pacific nuclear weapons plot in the movie? Is it accurate? Is it necessary? And two, more of a question for Gabe, what about the aviation stuff in the movie? Is it
1: accurate? Is it awesome? Yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into all of it and more, perhaps. We'll see.
0: All right, spoiler warning. We're going to run through the, the plot of this film. If you haven't seen it, uh, go see it. Uh, we will kind of spoil pretty much most of it, uh, as we or you're off to do. And also, you know, I'll, I'll firmly admit here, we didn't take notes during this movie. We didn't even know there was going to be a nuclear thing in it. Uh, it just kind of we, popped we were, out of nowhere.
1: We were, we were winging it, Tim.
0: Exactly. Uh, so... We, I have some notes here from memory and stuff. A lot of it might sound like it's from Wikipedia because someone was helpful in writing this down, but we're not going to run through the whole thing. You can read it online if you want to. We're just going to hit on the key points and then spend most of the time on the, the nuke stuff, which is kind of in the middle and the end of the movie. Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach
1: us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell.
0: Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You were here at the request of Admiral Kazanski, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy.
1: What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir,
0: I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage the expectations. What the hell?
1: Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. Then we're off. Here we go. Three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen.
0: Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this.
1: Having any fun yet?
0: But Gabe, why don't you get us started off? What is Tom Cruise up to? You know, thirty years later, after he graduated and was an instructor for a short amount of time at Top Gun, and also, what is Top Gun?
1: Well, okay, so so Top Gun for those uninitiated, it's a real thing. It's it's a school. It's it's a naval uh, school for naval aviators for advanced training in terms of weapons and tactics and things like that. You know, for for those who haven't seen the original movie, I mean, not to spoil it, but obviously that original movie takes place with these young. Yeah, young airmen who are, I think it was all men at that time, but uh, who were training at Top Gun and things happened. So Heat, Maverick, Mitchell, Tom Cruise's character, while a lot of the other people seem to have kind of gone on to do bigger and better things. I mean, he's still doing cool stuff. He's hes a test pilot for the Navy. That's kind of more of, you know, somebody maybe 20 years younger would be doing. But anyway, he's hes out flying this really cool new hypersonic airplane called Dark Star, which was kind of weird. So it's, it's 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 shown as a lockheed martin aircraft they also made the uh a lot of people know the sr-71 blackbird that very mm-hmm. famous sleek. Like, there was some publicity around the movie. The x-men jet yeah right yeah exactly um very cool very cool airplane but um yeah there was some publicity before the movie that like uh the the crew tapped uh lockheed martin to design this airplane and i don't know whether it was real or whether they were um whether there actually is a real Dark Star thing under development or whether they just kind of lent some consulting for the movie, but it was pretty cool in any case.
0: I think it was basically they made a big model and said this could look like a supersonic thing and, uh, and everything. I'm not sure if it's – I mean, who knows? We'll yeah. see if we see more UFO sightings because that was one of the things people thought they were seeing Uh, when they saw this being tested out. Um, I mean, hypersonic is funny because, you know, anytime I hear the word hypersonic in my field, it's often referring to hypersonic intercontinental ballistic missiles. Missiles so fast that they can, you know, be detected on radar, but then nothing you can do about it. They're too quick to shoot them down with um, artillery or ballistic missile defense. Things like this. Russia has said that they have some. The United States is now getting into the game
1: on, on hypersonic missiles. And I think that was kind of the idea with this airplane. It's like a super fast spy plane and so Maverick, he like, he kind of like almost steals the airplane because this, yeah. um, this rear Admiral Chester Hammer Kane, played by Ed Harris for a cameo, he kind of goes to abort the takeoff or and but Maverick's able to take off. And get in the air and then pretend like his radios aren't working <laughs> as kane orders him to come back he like keeps pushing the speed and they're trying to get to mach 10 10 times the the speed of sound and um, he's like really pushing the airplane and it's like about to come apart finally gets to mach 10 and everyone's like cheering but because it's maverick he can't just stop there he, he needs to go even faster he keeps pushing the speed and all of a sudden uh the the airplane uh fails in midair uh it just breaks up because of the speed and so he there's this is, like funny scene where he mm-hmm. like he like lands in the middle of the desert somewhere and like walks into a bar uh yeah cue you know funny comment from uh, stunned onlookers
0: yeah the kid uh little kid uh after tom Q was asked you know where am i he the little kid goes earth because he looks like it looks like an alien Yep. Um, how fast do uh do jets and other stuff get to these days? Not probably not Mach ten,
1: right? Uh, no, nowhere near that. I mean, I the the Blackbird, and I'm I, I admit I'm just googling this now. Um, Blackbird got up to just above Mach three to get up to the higher Mach. I don't know that they have these uh, experimental kind of scramjet ramjet aircraft where. They're literally going so fast that you don't man to, like, compress the air anymore. The Just the ram pressure of the airplane Hmm. going so fast actually compresses the air, and it's almost kind of like a self-sustaining engine. Uh, Those can go pretty fast, but yeah, I don't think there's any human-flown aircraft that gets anywhere near there. So that's purely, I don't know what the equivalent of nuclear nonsense is in the aviation side, but that was fictional, at least. Um, aviational
0: annoyances, maybe we'll come up with something. Uh, so he crashed this plane. It seems, you know, it seemed to me from, uh, as a lay observer, a pretty expensive airplane. And the thing that you would imagine, all right, man, you're done. But it sounds like he had a little guardian angel. He had someone looking over his shoulder, and it turns out it was Iceman uh, from the first one, who's now, like, he's an admiral. Uh, He has multiple times, sounds like in Tom Cruise's career, in uh, Pete Mitchell's career, uh, has pulled him out of bad, sticky situations, and including this one. He says, I need this guy pete mitchell i need maverick to go do this secret mission and you get sent He gets sent back to to top gun uh there's some kind of secret you know thing that's needed to be involved here and we get briefed on this uh that's where we get introduced to john ham's character so john ham you know doesn't like maverick you know thinks he's a maverick uh decides uh that he would if it was his choice he wouldn't be part of this mission but he's gonna you know, the admiral says he needs to so he's gonna so this is where we get nuclear here uh, they decide that they need to have Tom Cruise come up with a plan and train some younger aviators. What we learn is there is some kind of illicit uranium enrichment facility buried underground in an unidentified country that is just about to become operational in violation of international treaty and other agreements that it has signed up for Uh, and it's going to be fueled soon with unenriched uranium and will then be a nuclear weapons threat this plant is located in a huge like Crater. So imagine, you know, like a big crater in the, like if you was the kind of you would see in the moon, uh, where, they, you know, you got your, dip, your ups and downs. Or if you went to, in my world, envision a nuclear weapon test uh, where it was a subsidence crater or a detonation on the surface. And now there's a big hole uh, in the ground. So they build this enrichment facility kind of at the bottom of this, and it's surrounded by um, SAMs, some surface to air missiles. Uh, it's in a country that has what they call fifth generation aircraft, it advancedly shoot down everything stealth, fast, great missile Can do all the things that like the F twenty two and the F thirty five can do, and they don't think that they can use for some reason the F thirty five, the one of the more advanced um, jets that the United States uh, currently has. call it the F-22, the F-35, both fairly advanced, you know, they have their own I- their issues in terms of deployment, uh, but, you know, they can't use these because they say it is GPS jammed or it's a GPS denied environment. So they have to come up with uh, another plan, which is to take F-18s, the uh, the Hornets, so if you remember the Blue Angels of jets, they need to take those, fly a mission through You know, big picture, all of those times you've watched the other nuke movie that we've covered on the podcast, Star Wars, the Death Star trench run at the end of that movie. They essentially need to do that, pop out, jump up into the crater, stay below radar, fire missiles to first detonate a hole that explode the ordnance underground. So, two shots, fly up, get away from the Sams, and get out of there before these fifth generation fighters can get them. That's the plan, sets up the nuke stuff, and the only one who can teach them this stuff is Maverick.
1: I I think, like, okay, talking about it here, I mean, because we saw the movie, I I know what you're talking about, but if you you were explaining it, like, I think listeners can get a little lost, but in the movie, I thought they did a great job of showing exactly this, like, profile of what they needed to do, you know, this kind of high-speed, low-altitude thing, and they had to do these very specific parts of the course, and uh, they did a good job of, like, hammering it into the uh, audience's brain, so you kind of felt like you were you know, along with them and you knew exactly what needed to happen.
0: Yeah, it wasn't like the end of Star Wars, where they do a quick run through of the plan, and then they actually have to go do the plan. But it's like, you know, three minutes later. This, they show first it digitally, then they train about it, right? The whole part of the middle of the movie is them training for this mission. And then when they finally go and do it, one of the things I loved about it was they don't like take time to be like, okay, now you're going into this play area, don't forget about this thing. They just assume the audience knows at this point, because we've seen it. I loved that aspect to the movie. It made it yeah it was almost like the
1: audience was at top gun along with right. them like training it was cool
0: so this is kind of where this happens all right at the beginning of the movie and it was one of those things i was literally laying back in the chair you know those reclining chairs you get at the fancy theaters and i have to you see this luke thing pop up and i, I like raise my chair up and i just like turn over to gabe and oh, gabe's like oh
1: we just looked at each other we knew we knew there was going to be a podcast coming I found this really
0: fascinating because instantly the first things I thought were, oh, I kind of know a little bit of what they're drawing from. Yeah, they're drawing from Star Wars and they're drawing from, you know, other, you know, from the original Top Gun and the idea of needing to train people to do a mission kind of stuff. But uh, it parallels two real aircraft attacks against targets that were nuclear. Um, and if you would allow me to disrupt the plot here real quick uh, with a quick run through of what this is, because this is really, I think, the the heart of what we're trying to what I wanted to cover. Um, there were two uh, missions. Um, both of them were largely launched um, by Israel. Uh, first one was called Operation Opera. It was a surprise attack by the Israeli Air Force in June 1981 on an unfinished Iraqi nuclear research reactor north of Baghdad. Uh, this was, reactor is a combination of the names, um, some in uh, in French, uh, some in Iraqi, called Osirak. Israel basically said, all right, this is a month away from being started up and being fueled. Uh, they needed to go in and, and destroy it because they thought uh, intelligence reports that they had this particular research reactor, not a nuclear power plant, but a research reactor uh, would be able to produce plutonium that could be used in a, a future bomb project by Iraq. So they said, no way, this is not happening. Uh, they came up with a doctrine of essentially if you if they feel being threatened, uh, they were, were going to do a preemptive strike. Um, they went out and, and did it. This actually followed um, a failed mission a year before um, by Iran and kind of hard to believe today, you know, but this was a mission kind of secretly planned jointly between Israel and Iran uh, to a barrage capacity because both of them did not like Iraq. Uh, Neither one of them wanted them to have a a nuclear weapons program. Essentially, what happened with this mission was, you know, they were going to go after this target. This was not a, interesting enough, this was not a secret nuclear enrichment facility or a power plant or even a a secret nuclear research reactor buried in a mountain uh, or in a crater somewhere. Uh, This is something that the French announced that they were going to purchase. You know, the Iraq went out and said, I want to buy, first they said they want to buy a nuclear power plant. No one would sell them one. So the French said, no, but we'll build you a nuclear research reactor. We know that this design is largely going to be for civilian purposes. It was going to be under what they call safeguards. So that means that the International Atomic Energy Agency, the the IAEA, would um, have various kinds of instruments and other mechanisms to do material accounting, meaning no amount of material that would be uh, sensitive enough to build a bomb project type of stuff would be able to leave. The French said, yeah, we'll put highly enriched uranium to the level that you need, not weapons grade, but we'll, we'll bring some in because that's what you need for this reactor, but we'll take it back out when you need new fuel, when you need refu- ref- refilling. So they decided to build this thing. They Iraq had had a nuclear mes- medicine program since the 60s and had wanted to buy some sort of power plant. Um, since the 70s. So they bought this one from France. France, you know, basically built it. They supplied 12.5 kilograms of high-enriched uranium, which is not nearly enough to build a bomb project. Also, it's not at the right grade uh, that you would need to build a bomb. France thought it was safe. A lot of the world thought it was safe. Israel did not. So Israel sent F-16s and F-15s to bomb the reactor. Reports indicate that about 10 Iraqis were killed. One French citizen was killed. Um, Israel paid restitution to that family in France. Iraq later on uh, in the 2000s... 2010s um, asked for restitution for the destroyed reactor and they did not receive it. But this was a surgical strike, much like we see in the in the movie. They couldn't do refueling because they were violating uh, Jordanian and Saudi airspace without permission. And you know, kind of like we'll hear about in the movie, uh, they wanted to do the, the 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 attack soon before the facility was fueled, having any sort of like radioactive contamination. Although that was debatable because this was very far away from Baghdad. It's not clear in Top Gun. I don't know about you, Gabe. How close this crater is to like any city or civilization? It was near an airbase and the ocean, but it didn't seem to be near
1: like a city. Did I don't know? Yeah, it seems pretty remote. I mean, it almost looks like it's up in the Himalayas or something. I think they actually filmed it in the Cascades in the Pacific Northwest, but yeah, it, it almost has a feel. Um, it was of filmed, like... I
0: think it was filmed near Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, oh, California. Lake Tah- okay, yeah. Oh,
1: never mind then. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, California mountains. then. but no, the um, yeah, it it feels almost like Himalayas almost because it's just very steep kind of peaks but then like you say it's close to the ocean so unclear where this could be
0: either way back to the real world situation um you know this mission the actual bombing lasted about two minutes. yeah, there were defenses around but they were largely jammed by Israeli like jamming technology uh, and, and a lot of the pilots um, weren't ready for their they weren't you know up in the air. Um, I, there was one story that some of the people who were manning some of the the Sam sites, the Sam sites uh, had gone out for lunch they turned the radar off. Uh, so the Israeli jets came in they came out they got detected but they had already left uh, but by, by the time the you know Iraq was up and going. Question was a lot of people ask is was a successful mission because you know the movie uh, we'll talk about kind of how that goes at the end but you know people debate about whether it was this was needed or successful you know from one perspective yes it, it was successful it destroyed the facility but a lot of other non proliferation experts say that this largely what happened was it drove the Iraqi nuclear weapons program if there was one um for the you know long long time that drove it underground and made it harder to detect because they essentially decided okay fine we can't go this route we're gonna do it secret Saddam Hussein uh, the president of Iraq at the time, became much more interested in actually having a weapons program because he thought if he had one, he could deter these kinds of strikes from, you know, from Israel. Iraq and France never rebuilt the facility. France eventually left the project in 1984, and during the first Persian Gulf War, the United States finished the job and destroyed the rest of the reactor. Saddam was not too so happy, ordered the execution of the region's air defense zone colonel, imprisoned about a dozen, two dozen of rep- other pilots and officers. And, you know, there's a lot of debate in the non-pro community about whether or not this reactor couldn't have even made plutonium. A lot of people essentially say, no, it was under safeguards. The French knew this was a problem, so they, they designed everything so that this could not happen. Um, Richard Wilson, who was a Harvard analyst and who actually inspected the damaged facility back in the 80s, said that it would have taken decades if ever for it to make enough plutonium uh in sufficient quantities and quote the iraqis couldn't have been developing a nuclear bomb in osarak i challenge any scientist in the world to show me how they could have done so fascinating stuff but kind of uh but this is definitely a big part of uh israel's you know military history and something that a lot of people look at and wonder whether or not there is now kind of this tacit understanding that if you have a nuclear weapons program or you're suspected to someone's going to bomb it and it's going to be okay the public didn't not like it uh in even in the um in, in the international press the the Israel was uh, criticized by the United Nations, uh, by the General Assembly, which contrasts to the other example when this happened. So in 2007, in Syria, there was another suspected nuclear facility, never really understood what it could what, what it was, but the design from the air seemed to resemble uh, a new facility for, that North Korea had. The designs were close. So Israel went in. And like the movie, bombed uh, through this operation called Operation Outside the Box, destroyed the facility. Very quick joint operation. It was actually one that was jointly done with the United States. The IEA um, in 2009 found some traces of uranium and graphite, but they didn't until 2011 uh, when they were able to go in when the United States and others kind of held that part uh, for a while during the, uh, the Civil War in Syria. They actually fairly are confident that it was some sort of undeclared nuclear site. This was another F-15, F-16 joint strike, uh, but kind of different than but interesting contrast to the Top Gun movie which we'll talk about here in a second instead of having one of the F-18s pilots uh, their weapon specialist paint the target with the laser the Israelis actually sent in uh, a day or two before some commandos to go next to the site and paint it with the laser handheld one which allowed the you know smart bombs to be able to uh, destroy those targets and if anyone's ever seen that really terrible movie with Poly Shore called In the Army Now essentially the same plot for that at the end of that movie one reason why I bring up this other uh, example is there was almost no international condemnation of this strike probably a lot of it because no one israel never acknowledged it until 2018 and they finally said yeah no problem yeah this does actually happen but essentially they the iea wasn't allowed to come in Syria was busy covering up the site and no one really talked about it. So people wonder whether or not this means that they're between these two strikes. This is the precedent for any sort of future activities. And it also often gets brought up uh, in the context of maybe some undeclared facilities in Iran. Do we go in and bomb it? The, you know, Israel and the United States got away with this previously. Uh, Maybe this is okay to do again. And clearly, the military leadership in Top Gun thought it was perfectly fine to do. Uh, So what do they do, Gabe, to to get ready for uh, this mission?
1: Maverick goes to this uh, bar where they've kind uh, of—the bar from the original movie. Yeah, back at Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: um. Interesting thing, real quickly. In the 90s, Top Gun, the facility, left California and is in Nevada now. Oh, really the movie doesn't acknowledge that because they like the location and the well, scenes no and all of that in... so okay. they're just like no no it it didn't move it's still in beautiful uh outside of San Diego so they're like no nah, it's the same place so don't don't worry about all that right. we didn't actually we didn't actually I move actually did that I didn't I didn't yeah. realize
1: that I thought okay interesting we're in this bar and there's this whole crew of uh the new uh, aviators who are going to take part in the mission. And so these are and and I think this is the way Top Gun actually works. I'm not one hundred percent sure, but it's not like cadets who come like fresh out of right. training or something like that. It, it's aviators who have been doing it for a while and have been picked, you know, to get special training, they get that training then return to their to their unit. Yeah, in this case, they've kind of picked some of the the hottest pilots from around the the Navy and Marines, I guess. Um, There's this funny scene where they see Maverick at the bar and start goading him into uh, buying them beers, (laughs) you know, buy me a beer, old man. And then the next day, there's one uh, one of the one of the airmen in particular, a young guy named uh, Hangman, who's kind of like the, you know, the hot shot. Um, Yeah, he uh, he then. He then shows up in class the next day and uh, realizes that he was kind of picking on um, on Maverick. So, so there's a few other people there. Um, there's also very, very significantly Lieutenant Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, who is the son of Maverick's late best friend, Nick Goose Bradshaw. So for anyone who saw the original and remembers Maverick and Goose, it's his son. And uh, there's, there's definitely going to be some drama there we sense. And
0: it's fascinating because I, you want to you wonder okay well rooster, and rooster seems to be not happy with maverick like maverick clearly was upset that he that goose died in the first movie in the, in the kind of scene where maybe maybe it was his fault maybe it wasn't his fault but it seemed like an accident I think to the viewership but people debated it he clearly was distraught by it you know it's one of those things where it, is rooster upset because his because his dad died um, at maverick's hands and it doesn't really seem that's the case it seems like he's upset because when he applied. for... For, you know, to, to go to Annapolis, a little bit of uh, influence that Maverick had, he kind of held back his application for a couple of years, which denied a bunch of service. And it turns out that a couple years of service from what Rooster could have done, and Rooster was upset by this. It turns out that I guess Rooster's mom, Goose's wife, said no, like don't don't let him follow in the footsteps of Goose. And but Maverick never let Rooster know because he didn't want Rooster to be upset at his mom who had passed away. So there's there's clearly a tension there. Top gun, um, you know, the place where when there's tension it's going to it's going to pop out because people are already in pretty tense flying situations and it makes for a, a
1: lot of good drama. Yeah, no, exactly. And actually um I think he kind of confesses this Maverick kind of confesses this uh as he reunites with his former girlfriend uh, Penny Benjamin who she was back at the bar scene. Um, And they kind of hit it off again, and it's kind of like, oh, well, I'm not going to let this happen again, I'm not going to let you break my heart again kind of thing, but you can kind of guess where that goes.
0: So I didn't remember this because it's been forever since I saw the original, but apparently in the beginning of the original movie, there's some uh, quick reference after he does that flyby and gets yelled at and gets sent to Top Gun that he... uh, he says, I'm like, oh, you know, you, you've been cavorting with some admiral's daughter. And I guess Goose turns to him and says, Penny, Penny Benjamin. And he goes, Shh, dun, dun, dun. so then they bring her back. You know, she wasn't in the first movie, but she was referenced. OK, but it's not um... the main female lead from the first movie. Charlie. Yeah. No, no discussion about what happened to Charlie other than just maybe, you know, Pete Maverick is a maverick and doesn't uh, doesn't settle down for anything. Doesn't never doesn't like to put his feet on the ground.
1: So so he's um, you know they get into the training and it becomes you know it becomes pretty clear from right away that that these aviators even though they're like the best of the best that maverick is just like so much better than them there's all these like montages of them going in the air you know doing some uh simulated dog fights and maverick just kind of smokes them all and he's kind of having he's having some trouble getting them to work as a team there's a lot of big personalities especially uh this hangman guy he's kind of and
0: they call him that because he's you know if he's if you're his wingman
1: he's gonna leave you hanging out to dry yeah which is ridiculous because just just a, a note on all the co- i mean i'm not a i'm not big into military aviation i'm more into commercial but these nicknames they don't come from something cool that you did <laughs> they come from something silly that you did so if you like if you like tripped over uh a log or something at a campground they'd be like you're wood stick or something like that <laughs> or clumsy or something like that it's not like they're not like cool you know Iceman and maverick and all that they're just they're lot more a lot more silly than that actually but
0: well they they do have a character in the movie whose um call sign is bob and his name is bob i thought yeah uh, i enjoyed that one so that
1: one made sense yeah that's pretty that, that was good um but yeah so so they're really having trouble um and actually um this is where we get the cameo from uh from Iceman, uh who he's he's like in his house he has throat cancer he can barely talk and they're kind of communicating by typing back and forth and And Maverick's kind of like, you know, I'm not the right guy for this job. I'm not, I'm not ready to do this. You know, they, they don't need, they need something different. Iceman's like, like you gotta, gotta let it go. Gotta go figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. He sends him back. And, um, and this is all, by the way, on the, uh, the backdrop that the, the requirements for this mission keep getting made harder and harder. Like John Hamm will come in and be like, we, we now only have two weeks to train. We don't have three weeks anymore. And they need to like complete the, 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 this ground run in, in less time. So, so Mavericks feeling the pressure and breaks it with this. Uh, it's a callback to the volleyball scene from the mm-hmm. original. They play uh, football on the beach. Um and uh it's uh it's a little less cringy, um, but it's 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 kind of fun. It they're all yeah, it's like a a team building thing and like John Ham like comes to the beach like, what do you think you're doing? Blah blah blah. So what happens then is shortly after that Iceman dies um Mm -hmm. because he had he had cancer. And with this, you know, they very quickly take Maverick off of this training mission because it, he no longer has the protection of Iceman or or the um, the the boosting of Iceman, and so he, yeah, he gets taken off, and they decide to continue the training without him.
0: Yeah, it's it's very clear that Tom Cruise, uh, Maverick's goal. Is to do the mission under parameters that allow all the aviators to return home. One, he cares about all of them, but two, he can't lose Rooster. Um, So he wants the mission to be done fast and get out and get you know complete the mission, but have everybody come home. There is a competing parameter set that's a little bit looser that I think John Hamm's character is pushing, which is look, we need to get it done, and if some people don't return, that's the price of business to get this mission completed, and that's why when they're complaining about, well, no, you're going to do it, but you're not going to do it as quickly, which. them open for attack but it gets the mission done less likely for them to crash into the wall or something like that but I love this Like, the first beginning of the movie, where Tom Cruise, uh, Maverick, kind of steals the the new fast scramjet, he just, out of nowhere, appears on radar, has taken an F-18, and it's his job now. He's now running the mission. I don't know why he didn't do this earlier, you know, to show everybody that it can be done, but he does it now. And this is one of my favorite scenes. There's, like, very... The music is very quiet. You just basically hear him grunting at the G-forces, and he completes the mission. He does it faster than they ever had thought it could be done, and gets everything completed, which, like, inspires the rest of... Of the team to get it done and then he picks his team leaders i think it's like uh well it's definitely you know you got some rooster you got um uh some of the other kind of main folk uh that are there but not hangman hangman is left because he never was able to finally like click with the rest of his crews he's left as like alternate and they all get on some planes right and, and head over there's other plots that we didn't get into he re you know rekindles uh his love with uh jennifer Connolly. uh he kind of promises to maybe settle down if he survives the mission all of that kind of stuff but uh he now promises goose you know talk to me goose uh i'll promise that i'll get rooster home
1: so they do the um they go to fly you know the the mission now with with time with uh, maverick kind of leading it as we talked about in the beginning you know they just go to fly the course it, it, it's exactly what you've seen them training for over and over but now you get to see it with actual they were doing a simulated course now you can see it with like real mountainsides and, and there's some surprises like there's snow yeah there's snow Ah, uh, there's a bridge that pops out of nowhere that they didn't know about, so they're kind of having to adapt to that. And uh, I thought this was very well done. And I guess it was all filmed in in the um, actual airplanes because you really see the effect of the G. I mean, it's a very physically intense sequence. And from what I from what I understand, kind of you know, watching uh, stuff on YouTube after this, reading about it, is that yeah, this is this is very much what flying one of these airplanes is like. Is that is a just a grueling, physically demanding, exhausting kind of experience just because of all the g-force your body's taking concentration everything so you really get that sense you know during this and yeah so there's two teams um so the the first team that's going to hit the site first is led by maverick um the second team is led by uh rooster and I, tim if i recall like rooster's kind of falling behind he's not like he's, he's really He's not flying as well as he could be that day. Yeah, he right?
0: he doesn't you know live he 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 doesn't live in the danger zone. He gets you know he's danger zone adjacent for most of the movie. You know he he doesn't fly as fast uh, or you know or doesn't make his quick decisions. He doesn't he th- overthinks it. They make a joke about how he overthinks everything, and the, Pete Mitchell says stop thinking, just fly. Um, so he's he's slowing down he's not as fast as they, he should be and he wasn't as fast as he was during all the training missions and also as they leave the, key, the other important thing is there's a massive tomahawk missile strike from one of the destroyers uh, that's kind of with them and that destroys the airfield that's near the the, uh, the Richmond facility which would destroy they said most of the 5th generation fighters and the air force that's there the, uh, you know, destroys the runway more or less What's sempl- what, what they need to worry about is if there are any planes already
1: in the air yeah no exactly um so yeah there's there's all it's a very coordinated i think gives you the sense this is like a coordinated action and that's why you know they they need everybody to be uh performing properly and and you know rooster yeah when he's flying behind yeah maverick says that thing like you know don't think just fine he just like firewalls the throttle he starts like going too fast i think Mm he's his backseat guy is like oh slow down this is too much and it was very much it very much reminded me of like star wars like use the force like don't yep. think you know just it was like but but anyway so they go they actually do complete the mission they they hit the target the first the first team hits the target then the second team i think the targeting software or something breaks in the airplane and he he actually does it manually again a star wars there's a lot in common the more i think about it with that star mm-hmm. wars where it's just like closes eyes and, and presses it
0: another Another, another nuke movie. I've covered that on the podcast. I will. I will argue that as a nuke movie. There you go.
1: But now, now the issue is getting home, right? And this is where. Uh, so they've destroyed the nuclear site, uh, so Tim can be happy. Uh, but but now what happens, Tim?
0: Well, like they said, uh, now the the surface-to-air missiles are firing. You know, because they have lit up everybody. They are so they are able to evade a bunch of them with with flares and evasive maneuvers. But it's very clear that Rooster is about to you know be destroyed. I think by one of these missiles. So kind of out of nowhere. And again, this is just Tom Cruise. For some reason, they have it set up so it's uh the, the lead F-18 is just the pilot and the backup one who was coming in to just to first Tom Cruise was going to open a hole uh, on the Richmond site, which is underground, and then the second one with Rooster was going to paint it with a laser and actually, like, fire the missile that goes underground, um, instead of doing, like, an actual w- one missile that penetrates into the ground. So Tom Cruise is by himself in-, in the F-18, and he massively uh, calculates the trajectory that this missile is about to hit Rooster, makes a maneuver so that his jet is clipped and Rooster survives. Tom Cruise goes down, and now two- Tom Cruise is, like, kind of, like, behind enemy lines, being chased by a helicopter. What does Pete Maverick do when he no longer has, uh, you know, he's no longer. F- piloting a plane airplane. yeah you know he's he's basically he's he's a pro in two places right he's pro you know behind uh the uh in a cockpit and on the sand you know you know in a volleyball court this is neither of those things he's in a snowy area this is yeah. his natural terrain uh so he's stuck and what was going to happen we don't know and he's about to get shot by this um i don't know why the the the, the unidentified un- enemy doesn't try to like capture him and find out what's going on no they want to kill him with his helicopter fortunately um for for maverick goose comes out of nowhere. To destroys the helicopter then he crashes and uh, maverick like punches him and says dude i saved you why did you do that i saved you you weren't thinking and then what does uh, rooster say right back to him you know you told me not to think
1: yeah yeah he's like don't yeah he says don't think so (laughs) that's what he was doing and then i i think that the whole theater got a good laugh um after that line Here's the best part of the movie.
0: Uh yeah. they mentioned yeah, multiple I... times in the movie that this Air Force is a combination of the most advanced jets ever, these fifth generation jets, and yeah, a bunch of like older over stuff from the Cold War like F14s. You know, Tom, Tomcats Katz, the the plane from the first movie. And what does Tom Cruise and Miles Teller do? They go to the base and steal an F-14, take off on a short (laughs) runway and fly away. They get chased in a really excellent, awesome scene where they get chased by these fifth generation fighters. They're able to destroy some of them by like through some subterfuge because it's not clear that they're that. Why would there be like Americans up there? Right. They it's F-14s. They thought it would be the uh, the other the enemy thought it was them uh, their, their side. And it's a fun chase scene that they, they almost get destroyed. Like, you think it's going to go bad, but then Hangman comes out of nowhere, saves the day, uh, doesn't leave them out to dry. Maybe he's going to maybe his, his uh, call sign is going to be changed to uh, Deus Umachina uh, or yeah, something instead of Hangman. But he comes in, saves the day. They're able to land. You know, most of the, the plane is destroyed, including like what their uh, landing gear. But they, they land. Everything's fine. Uh, Rooster and Maverick kind of reunite. They rebuild a P-51 Mustang. Can you tell me a little bit about this? This little small plane so i guess they they repair this thing this is maverick's last mission and then he goes up with uh jennifer connelly and they fly
1: around just for a joyride yeah, I mean, P-51 Mustang, that was kind of like the, probably going to get flamed by people who know more, but like the F-14 of World War Two. It was like the best known, <laughs> uh, one of the best known, like, air, you know, U.S. air fighters. Um, so uh, I think did some other bombing stuff and everything like that. So very classic. You'll know, you know it if you see, you probably, if you've been to an air show, you've seen a P-51 Mustang. And actually very cool, um, uh, Tom Cruise took uh, James Corden up, uh, the, huh. the late night host. And Oh, that's right, because Tom Cruise can fly now. Yeah, I don't I don't want to kind of I don't want to spoil it, but um, he takes James Corden up in a, a P-51 for some aerobatics. You, you should definitely we'll, we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes. It's definitely a cool video. So, yeah, he actually he can fly this thing in real life, which is kind of cool. But um, I yeah, I mean, just, you know, on the, the ending, I mean, I, I think we've kind of probably butchered it here because it's like it's something you have to go. Yeah, see. it's it's like, all I, action stuff. It's I th- awesome. I think I like I really recommend um, that people go see it because I think the way it was done was just very careful it was um you didn't you don't have to know anything about dog fighting or or flying or anything like that it just it is done so well i i think the um you know i've read certain things that it uh it obviously was dramatized quite a bit i mean especially with the f-14 theft and the fact that the f-14 they're able to you know, take down one of these Su-57s, which is the the Russian, you know, fifth generation fighter. Basically, what I read is that that's there's no way that that would happen. The onboard radar and um, uh, and attack capabilities of the Su-57 they would basically shoot down the F-14 before they even got close. Which so, is what the F-14
0: could do back. You know, during the Cold War, there was a uh, what I remember from when I was into aviation and thought I would be uh, literally. You can um, if you could imagine, there was a world where I, as a young Child was a fan of the F-14, and then saw Top Gun. It was an amazing thing. Like it's just like basically, uh. you know, you can imagine that sequencing for things. Uh, but there was a missile called the Phoenix missile that could be fired uh, and forgotten, which was a huge deal, kind of back when that was there, because it would that the pilots were never within um, missile or gun range of any other, you know, plane, which would allow the F-14 as an interceptor for uh, air, you know, aircraft carriers uh, to really be very safe, you know, when it was dealt with um, any sort of incoming, you know, strikes against those carriers. So kind of fun to be inverted here. But then still, like they say in the movie, it doesn't matter how good the plane is. What matters is the pilot.
1: And this is another it's another theme. I mean, we, we probably should have mentioned this in the beginning, but this is another kind of theme of the movie is we're on the advent of um, having air, aircraft that can fly either with a pilot on the ground or uh, without a pilot at all and so the question is yeah will pilots even be relevant is you know are our aviators are human aviators a dying breed kind of thing and this gets woven into the story a little bit and i think this like dogfight this end scene like you know the, the movie puts forth its position that you know a skilled pilot you know even with great equipment you know you put a skilled pilot in the cockpit and they can definitely you know they can they can definitely be a difference maker so whether it comes to be true or not who knows what what the try to stay alive a little bit longer and see but yeah well that's that's the
0: movie really strong recommendation to actually see it because it's not worth this uh giving you the play-by-play but it's just as exciting as uh, the first time you saw the, the trench run in star wars just with tom cruise you know which is the one thing that star wars was missing so let's get super critical you know i got a few other kind of additional nuke things here and there that i thought were interesting but i, I don't want to you know over uh go too much in, into it like because it's a lot of it's like nitpicking that's not necessary at all you know for this movie because you know my first thought was like oh wow, no diplomatic solutions or international coalitions being built up for this strike um, against this particular, you know, country that's clearly violating international treaty. Like, nah, that's not necessary, because then the movie doesn't happen, right? You know, of course there was this thing called the Iran nuclear deal, the, uh, you know, um, JCPOA as it's called, uh, that the Obama administration negotiated to actually solve this exact problem, you know, have an enrichment facility that was uh, meant set for civilian purposes and to make it so that there wasn't an, uh you would never have a situation, or at least we, it would be years. Years before you would get to it, where enough uranium was enriched to the point where you can maybe potentially build enough of it for a bomb project. You know, this was canceled by the Trump administration. They're struggling right now to renegotiate a new version of the deal, but there was no effort for here for that. It was basically like whatever this country is, they don't want to negotiate it. We're going and bombing it. The other thing, this is the thing that I think is really interesting though and important. That is maybe a little interesting to you, Gabe, but I'm not sure if anyone else would be fascinated by it. But you don't build these kinds of facilities in places like a giant crater because there are things that you need for the actual facility to work. You need electricity and power sources that you have to run to the facilities. And while some of that stuff you can maybe build on site with diesel or, you know, or as the United States did it for some of its original facilities, some damming hydroelectric projects and stuff. It's hard to do that to run these kind of lines in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a giant crater. There's no sense of, like, water supplies or sewer for these facilities. There's no roads for staff and supplies to get there. And I think that's really the fascinating thing. This sounds like nitpicking, but one of the ways that the United States and the intelligence community and open source investigators that weren't even involved, you know, with the the intelligence agencies— detected some um, un- uh, undeclared facilities in Iran was by looking at bus schedules. And there was this one bus that no one knew where it went to, but it was in this one city nearby. And they figured out that this bus was taking people to the enrichment facility. You know, people have to work here. They're not all just scientists in lab coats. There's people who, you know, are janitors and um, people who are um, running the cafeteria. Like those individuals work at these sites. But how do they get there when it's in the middle of nowhere and in the giant crater? Either you build a city like you did the manhattan project or you have roads that are from nearby cities
1: yeah this totally went over my head it was funny i I just i bought the uh (laughs) i bought this whole uh little thing hook line and sinker it's fine because
0: it sets up a cool scenario but it's to me it's it takes top gun from more realistic settings to a little bit like a bond villain territory
1: yeah no it definitely had that feel and it's fine it's awesome
0: but it's just it's it's not where these things are at
1: yeah no understood it's very
0: hard to hide an enrichment facility. They're large. They have a lot of um, things that you can detect via satellite, like heat sources, because it re- involves a lot of power. If it's a centrifuge, and what an enrichment facility does is when you mine uranium in the ground, um, the isotope, the very particular isotope that you would use in a nuclear bomb project or in a nuclear energy project, that particular isotope of uranium uh, is not, very, it's not the most common one. It's less than 1%. So when you take the rock from the ground, you have to then separate it from other rocks. You then have just your uranium powder when you mill it. You then want to separate out the stuff that you don't want from the stuff that you do. The way they do that is they turn it into a gas. They spin it. The heavier elements go to the outside. The thinner elements are on the inside. They just keep doing that over and over and over again. And eventually you get a higher concentration of the stuff that you want and a lower concentration of the stuff that you don't want. To do that takes cascades Hundreds, thousands, depending on how advanced these centrifuges are, for this to work. Most of the time, these are uh, people require lots of space, lots of power, and that generates a lot of heat. That's how we often are able to detect these things, and it's very hard to hide in a Richmond facility. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but it's probably easier to detect, honestly, out in the middle of nowhere, like they did in the movie, which is kind of why you, why would you put it there? I guess the sense is, we're going to just put it in the middle of nowhere, and then put a thousand SAM sites all around it but then the funny thing to me that doesn't make any sense is like in Star Wars oh they have this one canyon that can get there no one will be able to do it so why would we um figure it out but like well why don't you just put like one or two like like down there you know like in the canyon and have that be yeah. able to detect them what it doesn't matter or most likely what you should have done was run literally some wires across the canyon so jets can't fly through it
1: <laughs> yeah I didn't even think about right? that. right whatever
0: well because then the movie
1: can happen this gets to the other question I mean you know, and I think we're getting into the, you know, we're, we're in the parking lot now or we, I think we just hung out on we the actually sidewalk did, yeah. in the sidewalk in front but but yeah like why why send in jets to do this and I know there was this whole thing about oh the GPS jamming can't send you know more advanced stuff need to send the F-18 which why not just send a big missile and why not send a bomber strike from like way up high I mean I, I again it's to make the movie happen but like wouldn't that have made more sense I think
0: the sense there is well it's underground so you're gonna have to really hit it hit it exactly I'm not sure why they didn't have jamming operations like the Israelis did against their uh, targets? Uh, Why didn't you send in Tomahawk missiles to take out the SAM sites? Why weren't there cyber operations that were done like against Iran? If you Google the Stuxnet virus, um, a lot of stuff that Israel and likely the United States did to disrupt some Iranian enrichment facilities uh, to put those programs back a little bit. I mean, I think most of the answers is sort of the movie could happen. And also the fact that it makes, I think we joked about this is, well, F-18s are something that the movie could get it's not going to get an F-35, and they didn't want to do it in, in digital like CGI. You, get an, you can get an F-18. If you want an F-18, Gabe,
1: I can get you an F-18. Just give me enough time. Exactly. I, I, and I, I don't actually doubt you on that, Tim. I'm sure <laughs> I've, learned, I've, I've learned to not be mistrustful of you. But no, the, the other thing too, I think there's no two-seater. They, they wanted an airplane with yeah. tandem seating. So I think the way they actually filmed it was they had these F-18s. They had a real naval aviator in the front, doing the flying, and they had the actor in the back, and so, again, you have that line of dialogue to, to make that work. I mean, look, I, I think
0: what they would probably do with this mission um, these days would would probably be some kind of uh, missile combination, or at least they would try with the missiles first and then follow up with the jets, but, you know, I, I'm not a military planner. Maybe there was a lot going on that they couldn't do it. Maybe missiles that would be detected and they would be shot down by the, the SAMs, I guess. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but it makes the movie, you know, excellent to have it the way that they do. One other thing I was going to ask you about is, like the first Top Gun, they don't name the country. They have no no sense of who is building this enrichment facility. And I want to know from you, does that help the movie, hurt the movie in your eyes? I think they do it for lots of reasons so that they don't get pigeonholed into politics or get any sort of diplomatic uh, snafu or anything like that. But do you think it helps to have... The country named or not named? What do you think about that? Or a fake country like, you know, Gavistan?
1: I think for a movie like this, I think it was good. Because I, I think it doesn't distract from the from the the key focus, which are the, you know, the aviators and, and their story. And, and also, I think just down the line, I mean, how many movies do you watch where it just doesn't really hold up because they're talking about, uh, oh, we're going to go fly Czechoslovakia, you know, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I kind of like, and, and Top Gun does have that kind of timeless... Uh, appeal to it, the original, so I kind of like it that they'll set it up. I don't know if you felt the same or if you would have liked to see like uh, Russia or China or something named.
0: As a nuke person, I'm glad they didn't name it because that would have been the first thing in my mind. Is like, oh, don't say that because the first thing I would have said was yeah. Oh, you think it's Iran? Like Iran's not. That's not. That's not what they're up to. So I think I, I'm actually glad they didn't. But some people have tried to uh, do a little bit of sleuthing and and you know, like I do with some of my uh, writings on on nuke stuff, like to play around with the, what what evidence is in the film. And I think some people have said that oh, it's Iran, and because. Iran is currently a member of the Interna- International Atomic Energy Agency and the Non-Proliferation Treaty, so they would actually be violating if this wasn't a non-declared site. They have had some enrichment facilities, some that may or may not be declared. They also have previously purchased aircraft from Russia, and Russia is trying sometimes to sell these advanced uh, fighters, these fifth-generation fighters. you had mentioned, the Su-57. Uh, Iran has not yet purchased these things, but, you know, there's debate about whether they might. Iran- most importantly, actually does have a very large collection of older aircraft, a lot of it holdovers from when the U.S. and Iran were allies, including the F-14. The Iranian Air Force is actually the largest owner currently of deployed, well, owner of F-14s and their air force. Debatable about whether how many of them are operational. Fascinating.
1: That's actually, that, that's very interesting. Because I, I, when I saw the F-14, I was like, oh, no way some other country got oh, yeah. its hands on. Iran has yeah, a bunch that's... of them. That's fascinating. The other the thing I thought also was very interesting, I was expecting this was like very popular five to ten years ago, the kind of China fan service Mm -hmm. where to appeal to audiences in China, they'd, there'd be some like ridiculous plot line where like I, you know, China like comes out of nowhere and lends support. The, the I first maybe yeah, like it. yeah,
0: the first the first pilot from China from another country to join Top Gun.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I was I was actually kind of surprised to not see it in this movie. I guess it's like a reflection of the times a little bit where we're we're cooling on uh, China a little bit.
0: It, it's clearly it, they don't name it. It's just kind of yeah. fascinating. I don't think it's Iran. I don't want it to be Iran because that sets up a whole bunch of like. And you don't, want, analysts.
1: You, you don't want this this podcast to basically create an international incident, so we'll just uh, – yeah, yeah, we're
0: not that – other people have also said the first movie was North Korea uh, right. based on um, some of the fighter jets and some other stuff that's there, but again, they never say it uh in but i will say this though my very first ever video game for the original playstation was top gun because i loved aviation i loved top gun so the i bought the top gun game uh it was crazy expensive for me when i when i got it uh when i was that young but um it had like full motion video of the uh guy from the from the movie but also he plays you know uh principal strickland from back to the future He he's basically yelling at you and this like choppy full motion okay. video and in that game they clearly name it i remember it as burma or myanmar but uh wikipedia tells me it's cuba libya and north korea oh wow okay. they very clearly game it so the only top gun thing that i am aware of where they just straight up name it is the video game so that's kind of oh. why i always thought it was
1: yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah.
0: So let's uh, wrap up here with our rating system. We always like to rate the content uh, out of one out of five, with one being awful being terrific i like to tailor the rating system since we get super critical about the movie content might as well uh, put that same level of intensity into the reading Uh, all right i got my briefing from from john ham uh you know we've talked about the mission parameters here the scale will be one out of five get out of jail free cards given to you by your buddy val kilmer if you have just one of those get out of jail free cards you're gonna think twice about doing any sort of flyby by by any sort of tower but if you've got five of those bad boys whoo that tower crew better have sippy cups on their coffee. Otherwise, that thing's getting spilled. Yeah. How many get out of jail free cards given to you by your good buddy,
1: Val Kilmer, would you give this film? Uh, I I almost am giving it a five. I'm going to give it four. Can I do like a half a get out? Maybe you get like a day out of jail. With One of those is like a, a bell bond. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do four and a half, I think. I mean, I for me, it was nearly perfect in terms of a summer blockbuster um yeah some things we could we could nitpick a little bit no i, I thought it was just very well done and um uh you should just go see it i mean the the, the flying sequences uh again you know if you know nothing about flying it, it's so much better than we've kind of clumsily made it sound like here on the podcast but also just the cast the acting yeah maybe they could have done a little of the interpersonal stuff a little bit better some corny moments but I thought it was great. What about you? Four. To me, that's a good rating. Uh, four,
0: I, not a four point five or a five. Um, movie that I highly recommend. Anything over a three, I would be like, yeah, check it out. Four is really good. Five is, you know, there aren't many fives on, on the podcast. Great action movie. Top Gun is often talked about as being like a recruiting tool for the U.S. Navy. And I'm sure this is, is going to continue that trend. But, you know, I think for people interested in my field of nuclear nonproliferation as a career, please don't think that this is the only way you can address these kind of challenges, you know, is to send Tom Cruise in to blow it up. So I'll, I'll, I joke about that, but it is a very terrific action movie. And the kind of one I might want to see maybe in an IMAX. Maybe we'll go see it again. Um, I don't usually go see movies twice in the theater because it's hard enough to go to the movie to see it once with the toddler. Uh, Maybe when you're out of quarantine, game
1: we can go see it again. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Uh, I know my my wife would uh, still wants to go see it. So yeah, maybe we, maybe we do a little little outing.
0: Gabe, anything you want to recommend to people for further watching, reading, related to Top Gun or just something you think would be cool in the genre or, or about aviation? Since we usually like to do that at the end of our podcast.
1: So I found this very interesting um, discussion on, on this thing called the Jocko podcast. I guess he's like a former Navy SEAL. He does a podcast with a former Top Gun, real life Top Gun instructor named Dave Burke. And then they talk about the accuracy of the movie and what Top Gun is really like. I thought it was really cool because it kind of opened my eyes to things that I thought were fake and done for purposes of the story. Actually, were pretty accurate. So yeah, check that out. There's also the the YouTube clip as I mentioned of um, Tom Cruise going flying with James Corden and scaring the absolute you know what <laughs> out of him. Uh, and then finally, uh, Lockheed Martin. Has like a whole page dedicated to their work on the movie and Dark Star. And again, I'm not sure whether they're actually designing this or not, uh, or whether there's there's something in the works uh, similar to this. But it's kind of cool, and there's some videos on there, and you can download a wallpaper. So yeah, we'll put that up there.
0: <laughs> Excellent, we'll do. Uh, the my current CEO for my company uh, is the former CEO of Lockheed, so I have to ask him how he felt about the about the movie. So I have. Four things to recommend. First is a post. Um, I mean, it's going to get uh, increasingly cooler and less nerdy. Um... Or maybe how you depend your definition. Uh, the first thing is a post by the always excellent National Security Archive, which is located at George Washington University. Uh, it's a, um, a service that provides a lot of like declassification efforts to find previously classified information about different uh, international events and puts them together in a wonderful narrative package to give you some you know insights about various events. And they had a really great one about the Israeli operation against Iraq uh, in 1981. What they knew, what, the, what they didn't know in the United States What France did to make it harder for the reactor to be used for a nuclear weapons program. And then what Iraq did to take the uh, strike lesson that it had to make a weapons program and had to do it underground. Uh, So I'll link to that. There's also really good footage online uh, that was declassified out of Israel about the actual strike. You can see from the perspective of the pilot um, the entire bombing operation. So you can compare that to uh, what we see in the movie Top Gun. There's a great book by Ambassador Wendy Sherman called Not for the Faint of Heart, Lessons in Courage, Power, and Persistence that came out in 2018 about negotiating, about a lot of stuff, but about negotiating the Iran nuclear deal that I mentioned previously. So um, if you want a different perspective on how to deal with nuclear issues, you can read that book. It's a terrific one. Finally, I recommend a movie that I entirely forgot about, but I'm so glad I remembered Hot Shots! Exclamation
1: mark from 1991. Have you ever seen this one, Gabe? I have not. It may have been on, um, like on, you know, TBS or something when I was young. Yeah, this is exactly those kind of movies from
0: 1991. Uh, It doesn't hold up well today because it is not a movie that would get made well today. There are a lot of really terrible stereotypes uh in that film, you know, it pokes fun a lot at Iraq because, you know, Gulf War, the enemy at the time, they're you're allowed to punch down or up or whatever. You can do with those parodies. But essentially it's a parody of Top Gun. Um, like I said, starring Charlie Sheen and Harry uh Ewells, I never can say his name right, and Valeria Galino and the always funny Lloyd Bridges. And I'm not kidding. The main part of the movie is people at Top Gun being trained for a mission that involves destroying an Iraqi nuclear power plant. So
1: Oddly prescient. It's an
0: odd timeline that we live in that the parody of Top Gun plot becomes the plot of the 30-year-later Top Gun movie. I love it, and I'm so happy that I got to talk about that. Gabe, thank you, as always, for coming on the podcast. If people want to find you and see what you're up to, probably uh, go in the D.C. area uh, and look up, right? Maybe in like a hanging out somewhere if near the Chesapeake it, Bay, look
1: up. If it's slow and not doesn't look terribly exciting, it's probably me. So the opposite of uh, Top Gun. And if you squint
0: while you're doing a, a very gentle bank, uh, you might see me nodding off. There you go. Very peacefully enjoying everything that is uh, about aviation. I was awake for about half of it. I just really was so peaceful.
1: <laughs> I take a lot of people flying and they're kind of like when people get quiet when i'm flying with them it's because they're probably not having a great time or or not they're, they're not entirely thrilled with the experience so i'm always kind of worried but you were there just like sleeping like a baby it was, it was nice although you did task me with looking out for other planes
0: so sorry That's about true. that
1: no, no no you're good um but no no it was a, a pleasure uh, uh flying with you as always watching the movie with you and, and uh, doing the podcast so um no really nice uh yeah r- really good to to do this one thanks tim
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Supercritical Podcast. If you want to have any suggestions for us on future episodes, or want to tell us what we got wrong, uh, either nuke-wise or you know ways that I can maybe stay up uh, when I'm supposed to uh, make sure that planes aren't traveling in our direction, uh, there are a couple ways you can do that. Um, you can reach out to me, Tim, over Twitter at Nuclear Podcast. We also have a website, SupercriticalPodcast.com, where we post. I'm a little behind, but I usually will post show notes and other information about our different episodes, kind of the research that goes into each one. And and you can reach out to me over email. I promise I will get back to everybody that's reached out to me. I read all of them. I'm just, again, because of the toddler, very slow to respond uh, to an email that doesn't involve work stuff. Supercriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this has been Tim Westmeyer. And Gabe. And remember, if it's pop culture and radioactive, we are bound to get supercritical about it. Have a good one, especially if that thing you need is speed.